Into my heart, into my heart. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today, come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. As Paul said, if anyone be in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. My prayer is that all of us will be blessed and will come to know Christ. Welcome to this ministry. My name is Hal Brady and I'm glad you've joined me. And I trust that it will be a blessing to you, both in word and music. Would you hear, please, the reading of God's word from John's Gospel, chapter 6, beginning at verse 66. 
Because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. So Jesus asked the twelve, Do you also wish to go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I, did I not choose you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He was speaking of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. For he, though one of the twelve, was going to betray him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me, please, for a moment of prayer? O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O oh Lord, which are thy strength and our redeemer. Amen. I think you'll agree that the questions do not get any easier. Jesus was asking his disciples, what are you looking for? Then he said, do you want to get well? And then he asked the question of the twelve that forms the basis of this text. He said, would you also go away? Now it's one thing to come to Jesus, it's something else to fall away. Most of the time we think of coming to Jesus, being baptized, joining the church, and living a life of faith. And believe me, I thank God for every single person like that. But there are a number of others who, like the people in this text, turn their backs on Christ and walk away. In the early days of aviation, there's an 80-year-old man who had never been up on an airplane. So one day he got on a plane and he rode around the airport about a 10-minute trip. When he landed, somebody said, what did you think about it? He said, fine, but I just want you to know I never did put my full weight down on the thing. That's the problem with so many Christians today. They never, ever put their full weight down on Jesus Christ and the life of faith. I repeat, but sometimes people are like those people in that text. They turn their back and walk away. Before us today is a passage of Scripture that could very well be known as a great tragedy. Through the eyes of the writer of John's Gospel, we see the beginning of the end. It appeared that everybody was coming to Jesus. His work in Jerusalem, his great works, had caused many to want to be with him. Numerous people were bringing their children to be baptized by his disciples. People up in Galilee had experienced his miracles. They wanted to be a part of it. And he had had a conversation with a lady of Samaria. And because of her testimony, they wanted to be with Jesus. But in this moment, things have changed. The tone of things is completely different. From now on in this passage of Scripture, people are going to be turning against him and hating him. It's John's way of getting Jesus right on to Calvary. Now, among the multiplicity of things in this particular chapter, I want us to take a look at three responses to Jesus that will help us in our own understanding. First of all, we see the rejection of the disciples. To truly understand the conflict and rejection of disciples, we would need to read the entire chapter, chapter 6. Here we have the disciples, not the twelve, wanting to make Jesus king. But they wanted to make Jesus king on their terms and not on his. These people were fully prepared to accept Jesus as the Messiah, but they wanted to accept him on their terms and not his. So when he insisted that they accept him on his terms, these people wandered away. Jesus says, I am not the bread giver. He says, I am the bread. 
and the opposition started. What a statement. I am not the bread giver. I am the bread. Jesus is not simply saying that he is the answer to our questions. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is not simply the great teacher of our faith, these truths that we hold so dear. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is not just a creator of these gifts we enjoy. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is not just an ice cream and cake for people who want to dabble in religion. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is simply Lord. Now, it's important for us to know how harsh that was in people's minds. Now, Will Willimon is a bishop in the United Methodist Church. He said that he wanted to do something that North American Christians are not used to. He said he wanted to declare that to be a Christian is to take seriously Good Friday more than Mother's Day. He said some students from Duke came to him and wanted to enlist his help in trying to put a spiritual center in the Duke garden in a corner of it. He asked him, what's the spiritual center? They said, well, it's just a bench, a place between the shrubs and the trees that we can just go out and meditate. He said, meditate on what? They said, just meditate on ourselves or nature or something like that. Well, the said, I don't want to disappoint you. He said, but I'm not too impressed by your spiritual center. He said, you see, I'm a Christian. And he said, we Christians are not spiritual in the sense that we meditate on bushes and shrubs and trees and nature. He said, when we want to find God, we have to find flesh. And in that case, we find flesh of one who died on a cross. So he said he was not going to go with them as far as the spiritual garden was concerned. Now, people wanted to follow Christ on their own terms. And so when they did, they were fine. But when Jesus said, I want you to follow me on my terms, they turned and walked away. Is it any difference in our culture today? For a few minutes, I want to share with you several reasons why I think people reject Jesus in our time. First of all, people reject Jesus because they do not know him. They do not know him. One of my predecessors at First Methodist Church, Dallas, Texas, was Dr. Robert Goodrich. Not long ago, I was reading one of his books of sermons, and I came across a sermon he had entitled, The Stranger of Main Street. He opened that sermon by saying, Jesus is called the Stranger of Galilee, but he could also be called the Stranger of Main Street. Now, Jesus is known practically all over the world on every Main Street. He's known by everybody, but he's not followed. His love is frequently understood. His mission is frequently understood. So people do not know him as they need to. Part of the problem, I think, is people do not have any recollection, any recollection of their experience of Christ. They came into the church for various reasons. They liked the preacher. They liked the people. They joined with a group. But many of these people never came because they experienced Christ as their Savior. Consequently, it's easy to fall away. It's easy to fall away. But because people don't know him, they're very much like the pale Galilean in Swinburne's poem, where he was more of an affliction than a Savior. And then another reason why people reject Jesus is because of the actions and attitudes of some of his followers. You know, if Christians act like that, then I don't want to have any part of it. Dr. John Killinger was describing a Thanksgiving service in one of his churches. He said after the service, they were gathered around talking, just having an interesting time. 
But he said, then a man came up. He was shabbily dressed. He said, he walked over to them, and he said, do you have any food? I'm hungry. Then they came to find out that this man was a street person. He had plastic bags around his feet. He had bloodstains on his face. He said he had AIDS. And when he admitted he had AIDS, his family wouldn't claim him. They wouldn't let him back in the house. He'd been out and he'd been beaten up the night before in the park. Dr. Killinger said, we don't have any food, but we have some coffee. So Dr. Killinger went inside to get the coffee. While he was in there, he called the shelter and got him a room and also got him a hot meal. But while Dr. Killinger was inside, this person from the streets looked at Dr. Killinger's wife's necklace and he said, that's a beautiful necklace. He said, I wonder if I might touch it. She said, yes. So he got the necklace and he admired it. Emboldened by her words, he said that he had not been hugged and kissed in a long time. Would Miss Killinger hug him? Well, she reached out and hugged him and even gave him a kiss. And both of them started crying. In a few minutes, Dr. Killinger came out and after Dr. Killinger had given him the coffee and the end of the day, he and Miss Killinger put him in the cab so he could go to where he was going to stay for the night. And they started home and they said, this has never been a better Thanksgiving than this. But when they got home, the phone was ringing and it was a lady in the church. She said, I saw you hug that awful man. She said, I think you embarrassed your husband and you embarrassed the church. I'm going to call other people. And then people reject Christ because of the cross. Whenever the cross gets involved, you may be sure people will turn their backs on Jesus. Jesus said, if anyone would follow after me, let he or she deny self and follow me. There was a minister walking up the street behind a man who was not a member of the church. And he said to this man, Jim, why aren't you a Christian? Jim said, I'm going to be honest with you. He said, I'm not courageous enough. How many people are not courageous enough, men and women, not courageous enough to be Christian? How many people would that be? And then there is one other reason I want to mention why people reject Christ. And that has to do with the fact that they are religious, religiously tolerant. That has a, a problem for them. Now, be sure I understand we cannot be imperialistic about sharing Christ. Christians don't have a corner on God. And we need to respect other faiths and listen to them as they listen to us and be respectful of them. But let me tell you something, beloved. Not long ago, I read something in a book by Ari Goldman. It was called The Search for God at Harvard that was quite disturbing. And I just simply want to share this with you. He said, one of the most elusive things to me during my early days at divinity school was, to my great surprise, the Christian experience. Everyone was trying so hard not to offend the wide diversity of people that would gather there that the Christian experience did not emerge. The Christian experience did not emerge. Jesus said, will you also go away? And then secondly, we see the rottenness of Judas. Now, Judas wasn't always rotten, but he grew to be that way. He was not a hero of the faith. Judas proved to be the villain of the faith. But at first, I'm absolutely sure, Judas was excited as the other disciples were excited. He was absolutely amazed at the whole business of this kingdom movement. He had to be or Jesus wouldn't have selected him. 
And like the others, he was excited about Jesus' teaching. He was thrilled at his miracles. He was happy about the fact that, and he was amazed that people just wanted to touch the hem of his garments. He was like that at first, just as excited as the other disciples. But in times, things began to change. They probably changed when Jesus began to preach, and Judas suddenly realized he was not capable of being a disciple. Jesus said, you've got to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Jesus said, turn the other cheek. Jesus said, pray for those who persecute you. Jesus said, you've got to forgive people 70 times 7. And Judas suddenly realized he couldn't do it. And then the rot set in. Isn't it a shame when noble dreams fade away? Isn't it a shame when the great excitement of first things begins to die out? Isn't it a shame when addictions take over our bodies? We were created in the image of God and destroy that image. Isn't it a shame when people show less and less interest in the kingdom of God rather than more and more interest? You know, in the Old Testament, there are other people who rotted. For instance, one was King Solomon. You remember how King Solomon started out. He was this brilliant young king. And he asked, when God asked him what he wanted God to do for him, he answered perfectly. He said he just wanted the wisdom to govern wisely. You see, he was humble and grateful, and he wanted the wisdom that only God could give him. But then the rot started setting in. You remember, he was warned not to have so many wives and to build temples to their gods, but he did not pay attention to any of the warnings. He was not faithful. The rot set in, and he was done. The kingdom divided after he died. Israel split apart after he died. And then I think it was Chuck Swindoll that talked about the fact when he made a speech to graduates of seminaries or university campuses, he would always say, don't show me your honors today. He said, come back in 30 years and I'll be glad to see them. I'll just graduate, I'll congratulate you on the four or five or six years it took you to graduate. But he said, come back in 30 years after you have been consistent for 30 years in your faithfulness and then I'll applaud you. And then that's this terrible story of an artist who was painting a picture of the Last Supper. It was a beautiful picture. When he first started, this artist picked out, he found this young man with a beautiful transcendent glory about his face and a purity of his life, and he painted him as Christ. Then as time went on, he painted the other disciples. But finally they got to the end of the picture, and he had to find somebody for Judas. So he went into the lowest haunts of the town to find somebody that was depraved and vicious, and he found somebody that was totally depraved and vicious-looking. And he painted him as Judas. When he finished the painting, the man who said, who sat there as Judas said, you know, you've painted me before. And the artist said, no, surely not. He said, yes, you painted me first of all as Christ. What a tragedy. The rot sets in. Discipleship dies. We see the rottenness of Judah, Judas. And then thirdly, we see the resolve of Peter. We see the resolve of Peter. The question was asked, Jesus said, Will you also go away? And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Is there anybody that would feel better about themselves than Peter did at that moment when he stood up for Jesus Christ? There are other times 
when it was a thrill to be a process of the yelling for Jesus. People were coming to Jesus, but now things have changed. Things were totally different. People were going away from Jesus. The twelve were wavering in their own faith, and Peter stood up and said this. Peter said, I'm going to be with him no matter who else goes away. I'm going to be with him no matter who else goes away. What a powerful statement on his part. To Peter, the simple fact is, Jesus Christ was the only one to whom to go. For Peter, Jesus had the words of eternal life, and his loyalty was built around a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me say this, Christianity is not the acceptance of some kind of philosophy of life. Christianity is not affirming some kind of theory. Christianity is not intellectually arriving at a faith. Christianity is a personal response to Jesus Christ. Paul said over and over again, he talked about in Christo. He was describing himself and other Christians who allowed Christ to live in them that changed them so much that their lives were completely different. That's what he was talking about, and that's what it means to be converted. Your life is completely different from what it used to be. E. Stanley Jones, the great missionary, said he had met a man in Africa whose name was Afta. He said he asked somebody about it. He said, that's a strange name. Why is he called Afta? They said, well, his life was changed so much when he met Jesus Christ. He based everything before on the existence of Christ, and then he changed. Before it was different. After the existence of Christ, he was changed. It was after. So we called him after. It seems appropriate to me. Do you remember Oliver Wendell Holmes and the autocrat at the breakfast table? The author affirmed three Johns. John as he saw himself, John as his neighbors see him, John as he really was. Dr. Holmes, you really missed it. You didn't add a fourth. John as you could have become in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, will you also go away? And with Simon Peter, we said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Let us pray. Lord, we are grateful for this day and this time together. We are thankful for the Christ who is indeed Lord. We are thankful that he's the Lord of our lives. And we ask, O oh God, that you'd bless all those who are in the sound and in the vision of this service tonight. Thank you again for this time together. May it be a blessing always in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this program. We appreciate it, and I hope you'll share it with others. And I hope you have a very good evening. Good night. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, is my song, praising my Savior all the day long.
perfect submission all is at rest i am my savior and happy and blessed watching and waiting looking above filled with his goodness lost in his love this is my story this is my song praising my savior all the day long this is my story this is my song praising my This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Say